You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Uh, well, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. And to start off uh, today, I want to play a little game with you. I'm going to read a verse, and you are going to tell me if that verse is in the Bible or not. So you have to say yes or no. Uh, here we go. Uh, number one, God helps those who help themselves. No? Uh, not in the Bible. Cool. Um, and if you said yes, this is a safe place to be wrong. Okay? Um, so be bold in your wrongness. Uh, number two, cleanliness is next to godliness. No, uh, that's actually a Benjamin Franklin quote. Uh, but it should be in the Bible because you guys need to clean up your rooms. Uh, number three, hate the sin, but love the sinner. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. Uh, no, that's actually a Gandhi quote, um, and Gandhi did not write any part of the Bible. So um, fairly good principle, not in the Bible. Number four, money is the root of all evil. No, the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, trick question, ha ha. Uh, <laughs> not funny for some of you, okay. Uh, <laughs> like, like, I don't like this game, Josh. Uh, number five, God will not give you more than you can handle. God will not give you more than you can handle. No, God will absolutely give you more than you can handle. He'll overwhelm you for his joy. Uh, also not in the Bible, but just true. Um, <laughs> two more. Number six, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. No, not in the Bible. Uh, you're wishing this game was over. Okay. Uh, it's just things that people say in Christian movies. That's, that's what that phrase is. Uh, number seven, the lion shall lay down with the lamb. The lion shall lay down with the lamb. No, uh, it's actually the wolf shall lay down with the lamb out of Isaiah chapter 11, if you want to test me on that. Uh, I set you up. All of those were no. How fun was that? Not that fun? Okay, cool. Uh, that's actually the lesser of two evils, okay? So to think something's in the Bible that's not in the, in the Bible is no big deal. Your friends could be like, hey, that's a Ben Franklin quote, not in the Bible, relax. And, and that's not a big deal. It's much more of a big deal when someone takes something that actually is in the Bible and leverages it, manipulates it, uses it for their own gain, for their own uh, benefit. That, that's, that's much more dangerous. And this happens all the time. Uh, you see it with Philippians 4.13. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is actually a Bible verse, uh, but it has nothing to do with sports. And everyone's like, Christ strengthens me to win this game. Like there's not a Christian on the other team or God hates the other team or it's like, only me and weightlifting, right? Like frat guys are in the gym. Like, to, I'm sorry. Uh, that's not what the verse is about. It's not. It's, I know it's. I know it looks good, but it's not what the verse is about uh, at all. At at all. Um, and you see, guys are like, man, I'm going to go ask out that girl. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you're like, Christ is going to need to strengthen you when she says no to your date offer out of context Bible guys. So uh, if you follow the news, even recently, like there, there was, there was a, a pastor who, um, who said that the Bible has a verse about there being a wall around heaven. So we should have walls around our country. That, that happened. And there is a Bible verse about there being a, a, a wall, a gate in heaven. Um, but wow, what a jump, right? From like a, a 
a wall around heaven so we should have walls. So you're using it for whatever you want. You're, you're leveraging it for whatever you want. And probably the most well-known Bible verse that is often used out of context uh, is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. It's probably like the Bible verse of this generation. If, if your generation were to know one Bible verse, it's probably this one. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. You might know the King James Version. Judge not lest you be judged, right? And you got to say it like that. Like, like if someone starts saying to you, you go, oh, judge not, lest you be judged. I know the Bible. And so I, I've actually heard this, uh, I've overheard this in places where, and, and let me just be honest, there's some places where this has come up and, and it's just, it's been interesting. Like you'll, I've heard a girl say, um, uh, one of my friends told me I shouldn't sleep with my boyfriend. Who is she to judge me? I've heard that. It's a little more real now, okay. Uh, uh, My mom called and said I shouldn't be posting that stuff online. My mom is so judgy. Uh, My dad called and asked me how I spent that money, and I told him, and he didn't think that was wise. My dad is so judgmental. My parents don't understand. Or one of my friends told me that I had too much to drink last night, but I know they're drinking life, and they're way worse than me, and who are they to judge me? And so, now, real talk, right? So, most people respond with any sort of criticism with this. Who are you to judge me? Who are you to judge me is the normative response of a generation. And and we're in a series talking about how we're supposed to treat one another. We've talked about love one another, forgive one another, bear each other's burdens. And today we're going to get into a, a passage of scripture that our generation has a major problem with. Who are you to judge me is what's going to happen. And so listen, I want to tell you, the Bible tells us to instruct one another, correct one another, sharpen one another, tell the truth to one another, rebuke one another, exhort one another, and dare I say, judge one another. And those are a command where God commands us to do that uh, amongst ourselves, which begs the question, what is Matthew chapter 7 talking about? If it says, judge not lest you be judged, what is this thing talking about? So let's take a moment and look at the context of Matthew 7 and figure out what that actually means for us as we're supposed to interact with one another. So here we go. Matthew chapter 7. This is Jesus teaching. This is called the Sermon on the Mount. There's a lot of stuff going on before, a lot of stuff that happens after. But here we go. Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So what is this talking about? We can't just grab one verse and use it for whatever we want. we got to ask, what, what's the context? What did those original people hear? And what did they, they think this mean? What did Jesus mean when he said this? So what's funny is you go, Jesus just said, don't judge. And then he gives us four verses on how to judge one another. Did you catch that? Hey, don't judge one another, uh, but judge one another. And here's how you should do it. So he's not saying don't judge one another. He's actually saying there's a better way, there's a proper way that you should go about the process of discerning and speaking truth to one another. Uh, but right out of the gate, you, you've got to get this truth. Listen, when you, when you read Matthew 7, here's what's going on. Jesus knows everyone has an obstruction that is limiting their vision. Jesus knows that. He knows every single one of us is going through something that, that, that is not true, that is a falsehood, that is absolutely obstructing the, the direction that he has for us, and it's pushing us the other way. We all have blind spots. 
We all have been duped into believing lies, and we need friends to help us out of that. So, so here, here's the first truth you have to believe, that you and I are not perfect, and you and I absolutely have things in our vision. Jesus tells us a story using vision. We have things in our vision that are hurting us. We're believing things that are not true. Because we're not perfect, that is absolutely happening. And God has designed a world where we actually help each other. So number one, Jesus knows there's stuff obstructing our vision. Secondly, Jesus taught his disciples to remove specks from each other's eyes. He absolutely expected that we were supposed to help one another get through these, these uh, things that are blinding us. Uh, Paul David Tripp is a pastor and an author, and he says this. He says, it's a humbling thing to realize that God wants us to be an effective instrument of heart change in the life of another person. This is a tremendous responsibility, one that the church should not take lightly. So you and I have to realize that there are some things in our lives that if someone doesn't speak to these things, they will ultimately destroy us. We have to realize there's some things in your life that if someone doesn't come along and speak to it, we're going to be uh, destroyed by them. We're going to be on the wrong path because of them. We're going to have our vision messed up because of them. But, but Jesus uses an illustration of having something in your eye, which, which is a, a very delicate situation. Have you ever tried to help someone get something out of their eye? Like they're allergic to a cat. You're like, let me get that out of your eye. Or you get something in your eye. You're like running to an air conditioner. You're like throwing water. Like it's a delicate thing. Um, we, my, my wife and I currently have a 14-day-old kid in our house, 14 days old. And 14 days, yeah, praise God, we survived 14 days. <laughs> Text me tomorrow, see how it's going. Uh, newborn babies have junk in their eyes. It's a thing. Have you been around a newborn? They have goopy eyes. It's a real thing. It happens for like a year. Uh, and the way by which you go about getting the goop out of their eyes is a very delicate process. My wife like lays our daughter on the bed, removes all obstacles, turns all the lights on. And we realized we didn't have any cotton balls in our house. And so she sends me to the store to get cotton balls. And before I leave, she looks at me. She's like, listen to me, Josh. Don't you dare buy the cheap cotton balls. I didn't know there were cheap cotton balls. <laughs> She's like, you find the most expensive cotton balls in the store and you, you pay, oh, you you pay the overpriced price tag and you bring them back to me. Don't you fail me, Josh. So uh, I go to the store and good news, Rite Aid only offers one kind of cotton ball. So uh, I asked the attendant, she's like, this is all we have, sir. And I'm like, okay, great. Are they the premium edition? <laughs> A lot's riding on this, lady, you don't know. So uh, the way you get something out of a newborn's eye is you take cotton balls and you put them under really warm water. And you very gently, very delicately remove the junk out of the eye. And that, that's the picture that Jesus is giving. There's something happening here that needs closeness and needs delicacy to pull off. And so often we hear this plank in my own eye thing and you're like, man, if I have a plank in my eye, I can't help you with the sawdust in your eye. And we think that means like you have to be perfect or you have to have not stuff in your eye. But, but what's happening in this parable in this story is Jesus is saying, if you have a plank in your own eye, you cannot get close enough to someone to help them. You've got to remove the obstacle in your own eye to get close enough to help them. So this text is not talking about perfection. It's talking about closeness. 
It's talking about the delicate action of, of telling someone the truth. And it's surrounded by other teachings. There's, there's a teaching on prayer. There's a teaching on fasting. And there's a teaching on speaking the truth to someone. And all of these teachings of Jesus are really about motivation. Really, they're about motivation. When you pray, don't pray for everybody to see. Go in your room and close the door. Motivation. When you fast, don't look sad and like tell everyone you're fasting. Like put on some makeup, put on your clothes, go have a good day. Motivation. When you go to someone and tell them the truth, what is your motivation? That's what Jesus is talking about here. It's not that you would never judge someone. It's that you would have the right motivation. So listen, if, if we have a hard thing to say to someone, we need to spend time seeking out our motivation. If you have a hard thing to say, you've got to figure out what's going on in my heart. Am I speaking these words out of love for God and love for you? Or am I speaking them because I just really want to put you in your place? Do I want God's purposes in your life more than I want my own purposes? Or am I trying to manipulate you to do something I want? Do I want you to be benefited by what I say? Or do I want to put you down or threaten you or call you names? Because that makes me feel better. We've got to check our motivations as we go into this delicate process. But listen, that, that's just a story. This, this something in my eye is the story that Jesus uses to illustrate. Because the truth is, helping remove things from someone else's eye is not done with warm water and a cotton ball in, in the real world. It's done verbally. It's done using communication. So communication is a massive element of how we're supposed to treat one another. We've got to get the communication right. And so there's another place in Scripture where the Apostle Paul led by the Holy Spirit, gives us some more understanding on how it is we're supposed to talk to one another uh, in reference to getting things out of our eyes. And it comes in Ephesians chapter 4. In uh, verse 14 and 15, we get some more understanding on how this works. And it's primarily around like theology, like teaching and truth and how we apply that to our lives. So in verse 14 of Ephesians 4, it says this. It says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, catch this, there's lots of teaching out there. There's lots of deceit out there. There's lots of scheming, lots of things trying to get you to, to have blurred vision, lots of things drawing you in. And Paul says, not that. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So there are lots of things out there that we could be believing. Lots of lies that we're hearing. And Paul comes along and says, the correction we must give, the speck removal in the life of the church is an issue of truth. Speaking the truth is the loving thing that has to be done in a loving way. Truth is the content of what we're supposed to speak to each other. Love is the approach we're supposed to have as we speak that truth. So that's the way by which we remove things from each other's eyes, speaking the truth in love. So, so that means this. You could hear a sermon from Resonate, from somewhere online, and that sermon could be hard truth, harsh truth. The cost of discipleship tells you who you are and how sinful you are and what God's demanding of you, and it could be coming in hot for 45 minutes. And when you're done with that sermon, you could say this. That was the most loving sermon I've ever heard. That was the most loving sermon I've ever heard. And there was nothing particularly kind or encouraging about it, but it was truthful. And you could hear another sermon where someone just tells you how great you are and how God only wants to bless you and how you shouldn't only have problems and you're enough and you can fix yourself and you try harder and you just speak your future into being. And they could tell you that for 45 minutes. And when you're done, you could say, that was the most hateful speech I've ever heard because they lied to you. 
And you can say that was ungodly communication. That was flattery. That was not the truth and love. So when we say the truth and love, here's what we mean. Truth and love means this, that the truth God wants me to speak to you stays pure because it's not bent and twisted by other motivations. The truth that I'm supposed to give to you is a pure truth. It's not twisted by greed, not twisted by fear, not twisted by the manipulation that I feel socially that I need to get you to believe this thing. It's not twisted by any of that. It's like, listen, hey, there's some stuff going on in your life and I want to be a conduit of God's voice towards you in a way that is pure. So when we confront someone, it's not to punish them. It's not to win an argument. It's not to hurt them. But, but we have to take the responsibility seriously that God has asked us to discern right and wrong in another person's life. Discern right and wrong. And we should absolutely negatively evaluate one another lovingly. We should tell the truth lovingly. And this should not be something that separates us, but rather it should be something that reconciles us. Speaking the truth lovingly. Uh, when I think about speaking the truth lovingly, um, my mind goes to like the early seasons of American Idol. I don't know if you saw American Idol like early on, uh, but early seasons of American Idol had nothing to do with good singers and they had all to do with bad singers. And you watched American Idol because you wanted to see how this terrible person would come forward and try to sing. And then that person would have to face the truth of God named Simon Cowell. <laughs> and you, wanted, you just wanted to see the bad singers. And in season three, that's when Carrie Underwood won. Season three, um, yes, I know that, don't judge me. There was possibly the worst singer of all time uh, was a young man named William Hung. And William Hung went on American Idol, um, and he chose to sing uh, Ricky Martin's hit, She Bangs. If you don't know Ricky Martin's song, She Bangs, that's your loss, okay? <laughs> classic, classic music. And so he goes on, and uh, he sings She Bangs, and he's trying to even get through like 15 seconds, and Simon just puts his hand up and is like trying to stop him. William won't stop, and finally he stops him, and he tells him this. You can't sing, you can't dance, you can't do anything in the, mu in the music career for your future. What are you doing here? Just lays it out for him. And what's great, like William Hung, I, I did some research on him. Uh, he, he and my daughter have the same birthday. He's born January 13th. He's 36 years old. And he was a civil engineering student at UC Berkeley. That's not easy. UC Berkeley, civil engineering student, and he goes on American Idol, and he sings She Bangs in front of Simon and just gets shut down. But so many people online were like, that was great. We, we think that's awesome. And he like quits college, drops out of college, and pursues music, pursues music for a while. And people online are like, they're playing you, William. Stop. Like, this is all a big prank. Like, ugh. So uh, good news, according to his Wikipedia page, he currently works for, this is, uh, praise God, there's an uptake to the story. Um, he now does like forensic science for uh, a police department in Southern California. So yes, William, you turned it around. <laughs> We're proud of you if you're out there. But when you watch American Idol and you see those people come on and they're terrible, on one hand, it's funny and you're like, oh, this is funny. Like Simon's about to like lay them down. Like that's funny. Um, but you know what, you know what we should think? This is what I think. Uh, when you see them come on and they sing terribly, I think nobody loves them. Nobody loves them enough to tell them they're terrible. 
Nobody loves them enough to say, hey, I know you think you can sing and like your grandma thinks you can sing and you've got like one other friend who doesn't have any other friends so they kind of think you can sing. But like, trust me, you can't sing. And so we, we rely on Simon to be the truth teller because none of us want to be the truth teller. And this happens all the time. Like Christians are probably the worst at this. We are the most lying group of people maybe in the whole world. And this happens around music all the time. There's, there's some Christian musician uh, who's not good, right? Like objectively bad. And they come and they're like, hey, I'd like to sing a song. Uh, God gave me this song. Um, I, I was just like praying and singing. And then like God wrote this song. Uh, and I'd like to share the song that God wrote. And then they play the song and you're like, no, God is not a bad songwriter. <laughs> Don't you dare blame that song on God who created the heavens and the earth. He's awesome. That is objectively bad. And you have been lied to. Nobody loves you. But that's what it's like. That's what it's like when we don't tell each other the truth. You leave someone else to do the dirty work because we're too loving and we're too kind and our Christian excellence bar is really low and nobody really cares. No. That's not okay. That's not loving. And this is, this is like non-important stuff. That's non-important stuff. What about the stuff that's really important? What about the stuff that is like significant and life-altering and a big deal? It's not just like music, but like a big deal. In Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, he says this. He says, nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. Nothing is more cruel than being lenient in a moment you need to be truthful. And nothing is more compassionate than a severe reprimand that calls someone back. So listen to me. It is not loving to ignore destructive behavior. It is not loving it is not loving when you, when you enable someone, you do not step in and help them see that what they're going through is actually hurting them. So listen to me. True love confronts. True love does not enable. God wants us. He's commanded us to speak into each other's lives in places where our vision is obscured. He's commanded us to do that. He's saying, don't leave your brother out to sin. That is not loving. That is hurting them. You've got to figure out how to step into this hard place to pull this off. So, so listen, if this is what's been commanded of us, if we are to speak the truth in love to one another, then it begs the question, how do we do it? And listen, speaking the truth in love is a fine art. Most Christians probably fall on the love side. On the love side. Here, here's what that means. We don't, we don't tell the full truth to anyone because we don't want them to think ill of us. And we don't want to butt into their lives or we don't want to hurt feelings. And most Christians don't want to offend anyone and they want to maintain peace at all cost. And the result is God isn't honored and people aren't edified as much as they could be if we would be willing to speak the truth in love. So there's a massive group of us that fall on the other side, of the love side. And there's others of us that fall on the truth side. And those are the people who the moment they heard this sermon was about telling the truth, they were like, oh my God, I have been waiting on this sermon. I have a list of people that I will be speaking to directly after service. I have been keeping so much stuff inside because we're all so nice to each other. It is my turn. It is my time. Look out. I have a bullhorn in my backpack. It's about to go down. 
And those are the kind of people they like, listen, they, they say, I'm not angry. Yes, you are. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not bitter. Yes, you are. Uh, I, I'm not hostile. Yes, you are. Uh, I'm not confrontational. Yes, you are. I'm not insecure. Yes, you are. I, I'm not here to destroy people. Yes, you are. Your friends call you the destroyer. <laughs> like, nobody really likes you because of this. And if you go, Josh, why are you being so harsh to them? I'm being so harsh to them because I am them. I'm that guy. And by God's grace, I am trying to not be that guy. My friends and my wife and my, my leaders are helping me out of that. But listen to me, if you fall on the truth side, if you don't have love when you speak truth, then you're not being like Jesus. And on the other side, if you have love, but you're not speaking truth, you're not being like Jesus. So we have to be honest enough to know which side we fall on and then humble enough to repent and grow. Be honest. Which side do you fall on? And then be, be honest. If that's where you fall, can you be humble enough to repent and to grow? So I, I brought a diagram because I think that might help us see a little bit better visually how this lays out. So if you are um, low on truth and low on love, then you're in that bottom left quadrant. That, that's called the antagonist. The antagonist is someone in a story who is the enemy, who is not good, who has no desire to help. I, I wanted to put the worst in that box, um, but I didn't. I just put the antagonist. So low truth, low love. Uh, if you are all love, so high love and low truth, uh, you're the enabler. You're like, hey, I'm never going to tell you anything uh, wrong. No matter how destructive it is, it is what you're doing. No matter how unbiblical it is what you're doing. No matter how much this is going to hurt you, I I'm just here for you and I just love you and I would never tell you anything wrong. And that's enabling people to walk in their sin. And if you're in the top left-hand corner, you're like, I'm high truth below love. You are the critic. You don't watch a movie to enjoy a movie. You watch a movie to critique the movie. And so you, your friends are like, hey, uh, do you even like me? And you're like, yeah, of course I like you, but here's three things that you could do better. <laughs> and that's, that's the perpetual need to critique. And so what God has asked us to do is to be like Christ, which is fully loving, fully truthful, filled with grace, filled with truth, which is to be a developer. A developer is the kind of person that says, hey, I want to walk with you through this so that we can grow and become like Christ, because that's what he's asked us to do. So let's develop each other into Christ's likeness. Let's be in this thing together. Listen, there are immense power in your words, immense power. Your words can create a world for someone. Your vision for someone could create a new world for them. There is unbelievable power in our words. So as we speak the truth in love, here, here's how I think we do it. This is what I, I believe we've got to do when we do this. So number one, be specific. Be candid Resist the temptation to be emotionally worked up. Be willing to help and tell them what you see in them. So when you're going to speak the truth and love to someone, be specific as you can. Don't be vague. Don't be like, that guy's the worst. It's not helpful to say I'm the worst. Tell me the situations by which I am the worst. Like, be more specific than that. You're selfish. No, no, selfish is too vague. Like, help me. What do I do specifically that is selfish? Be candid. Don't feel like you've got to caveat everything like, hey, I'm glad you came. Uh, I bought you coffee. Uh, I paid for this, this uh, semester in tuition for you. I have one little hard thing to tell you real quick, but then we're done, okay? I don't want to say, no, like be candid. Tell them what's going on. Be honest. Resist the temptation to be emotionally worked up. Now, listen, this might be the one that, that as immature believers, there are many of us that really struggle with this one. And so sometimes our speaking the truth in love turns into gossip. And we're like, we like tell all our friends, hey, listen, uh, today at five o'clock, 
I'm going to confront my roommate because uh, they are dirty and they are not nice uh, and they do all these things that none of us like. Uh, and so would you guys pray for me today at five? Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to really share my thoughts and my feelings with my roommate. I haven't, I haven't planned any of it. I haven't written any of it down. I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm just going to emotionally give it to him. And you're like, I'm so glad I'm praying for you today at five because you're going to ruin a relationship. And everyone's going to get hurt and then you're going to have to come back and gossip to us on how it went down. Resist the temptation to get emotionally worked up. Again, you want to give them an untainted, a pure picture of God's desire for them. You're for them. You're not trying to put them down and hurt them. You're not calling them out. You're calling them up. Like, come on, let's do something together. Let's figure this thing out together. So again, be willing to help. Say, hey, there's some, there's some stuff I notice in your life. There's this blind spot in your life. And listen, I struggle with that too. But, but I want to help you figure that out. I want to walk with you through that. And then lastly, tell them what you see in them. This is so profound. I know you're going to tell them things they struggle with that you see in them, but also be bold enough to tell them a future you see for them and to say, hey, this is what's going on and this is what's happening. And I know that we're going to figure out how to walk through this. But listen, on the other side of this, man, you have no idea the things that God has called you to. You have no idea the impact you can have, the influence you can have. Like, listen, I see this in you and it's so good and it's so important and it's so worth us having this hard conversation over because if we can get through this, the future is bright and God's going to get glory. And so when you tell someone this truth and love, don't just let it be putting them down. Also call them to a desired future. Now, we see this happen in our church all the time. Um, one of our pastors in our church who's had multiple what we call site pastors in training, which happens to be the acronym SPIT, which is kind of like rude to them, but that's just how it works, okay? Uh, so site pastors in training are going through a process of preparing to plant the church. And we have one pastor in our church who's had multiple site pastor in trainings. Uh, and they, they have this end of year review where the site pastor writes an email to this other guy and tells him what's, what he sees in them and calls them to more. And so again, these are guys that are about to go out and plant churches. And so I sent him a message and I'm like, hey, can I read those, a couple of those emails you've sent to guys? And he was like, you sure you want to do that? I'm like, yeah, I think it would be really helpful. And so he sent me the emails. And so again, one pastor to a younger guy coming up. Um, here, here's what he said. And I just kind of picked a few things uh, to, to help us. It says this. Um, when you're on your own, that means like when you go plant a church, there won't be anybody next to you pushing you. You're going to have to push yourself. And there have been times where I've wondered this year if you have what it takes to push yourself or if you too heavily rely on those around you to push you. So getting really specific when it comes to your work ethic. I need to see you get after it more. You sleep in too late and too much. I need you to adopt a more urgent way of life. Your personality is laid back like reggae. It's like music. Um, <clears throat> you know that. Sorry. <laughs> Just in case, reggae is a style of music that is laid back. Uh, you're laid back like reggae, but on the frontier of missions, there's little time to waste. You're going to have to figure out a way to fight this inherent slowness. You've got to toughen up and get grittier. You tend to get emotional and shut down sometimes. And the team notices this because you disengage at meetings. And when I've asked others about the one quality that matters most in a lead church planter, they say emotional resilience. So you have got to figure out how to bounce back every day. I believe you can do it. I'll walk with you the whole way, but you've got to face these brutal facts. Email number one. Email number two. Uh, I know we've talked about this in the past, but it's still evident, so I've got to bring it up again. 
When you called me on Sunday at noon when you were in Olympia and the first thing you said on the phone was, hey man, I don't think we're going to make it back for church tonight. This is an example. You tend to live and speak in crisis mode and it's draining for all of those around you. People that you lead will grow weary of the constant roller coaster of drama in your life. If the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart, then your crisis heart living is producing crisis speech. In all, bro, you know I love you, and you know I want to continue to see you have impact for the kingdom in significant ways. This email may hurt a little bit, but know that part of the maturing process is facing the brutal facts and having the courage and discipline and humility to make a change. I think marriage is going to help you out a ton in this. Amen. It forces you into places of maturation and sanctification. These are really hard emails that they then met up and talked about. But listen, when you read that, when you you hear that, you sleep in too much, you're dramatic, you're a roller coaster of emotions, you are too slow, you've got to pick up the pace a little bit. When you hear that, uh, you, you really should see that these emails are a treasure. They are a treasure. Someone loves you enough, who's invested you enough to say, you have these things in your life and no one else is speaking to them. So I love you enough to speak to them. And I'm not just going to put you down. No, no, I'm going to tell you what I see. And I'm also going to tell you what the future holds. You've got to figure that out because the kingdom and the impact you can have in a lost college campus is massive. But we've got to talk about these things that you're struggling. You have obstructed your vision and you've got to figure it out for the sake of what's on the other side. And I see that in you. And listen, these emails are both over two years old, over two years old. And if I told you the men that received these emails and you, you knew, oh, that guy got that email, you would think to yourself, really, that guy, that doesn't seem to be how he operates anymore. That doesn't seem to be stuff he struggles with anymore. Those things aren't true anymore. I submit to you, they would still be true had someone not spoken them out of existence. They would be true to this day. If this other pastor didn't step in and say, you've got to speak to this stuff. You've got to figure this out. And that created a new world for these men because someone loved them enough to speak into it. You go, why is speaking the truth so important? Why why are we commanded to speak the truth to one another? We are commanded to speak the truth because there is a real enemy who is currently trying to destroy and dismantle everything God is doing in the world everything Jesus has come to accomplish, everything the Holy Spirit is building, there is a real enemy trying to destroy all of those things. And the means by which he destroys things, what he uses to destroy are lies. Lies. Jesus calls the devil the father of lies. That he is the place where lies originated from. That when the devil speaks, he speaks lies and that's his native language. So when you think of spiritual warfare being all this crazy stuff and angels and demons and and all kinds of like supernatural superstitious hoopla, like, no, no, spiritual warfare at its core is lies and truth. And, And the truth is the devil is lying to you, Resonate Church. And the truth is you are believing some of those lies. And God in his glorious strategy and plan has sent believers to you to help you clarify and help you see the lies that you are believing. 
There's an enemy lying to you. You're believing lies and you need followers of Jesus to judge you lovingly out of those lies. To discern what's going on in your life and to speak to those things. Otherwise, there is a high likelihood you will stay in those things. So this is so significant. This is, this is a battle of spiritual warfare. Our command to speak the truth to each other in love is actually the way by which God dismantles the devil's work in your life. And this is so significant. Listen, I, I would submit to you that speaking the truth in love is what God has done to us in the gospel. That he loved you enough to tell you the truth. God loved you enough to tell you the hard truth. And here, here's the hard truth. You, you were created in his image. But it didn't take long for that image to be marred by our failure, by our rebellion, and by our uh, running the other way. And so here's what that means. You are a sinner. From birth, it was born in you. And you're not just a sinner because you do sinful things. You are a sinner at birth. And that sin just doesn't have you like having a bad time or having a bad day. No, you're a sinner. And that sin has you dead. Dead in your sin whether it's hypocritical religion or hypocritical irreligion, no matter what, you are absolutely, and I am absolutely dead in our sin. All is broken. All is worthless. All is hurt. And that is true about you. It is also true that because you are a sinner, God could justifiably judge you and punish you, and that would be in the right thing to do realm for God. And that is maybe the hardest truth you've ever heard. You're a sinner dead in your sins. And you've tried to work your way out of it and it doesn't work. And you are justifiably under the wrath of God right now. But this is not a God who is against you. This is no, this is a God who is for you. So not only has he spoken the truth to you, he also loves you. He loves you so much. He knows the truth about you. He knew you were dead in your sins. So he sent forth his son in love to absorb the wrath of God that was coming for you, to live the perfect life you couldn't live, to die the death you deserve, to give you a gift you couldn't earn. So God loves you enough that he not only tells you the truth about you, he sends his son to do something about that truth. And this is great news. Listen, God does not come to us and tell you, you're a sinner, but here, here's what you should do. Uh, you just try harder. You're a sinner, but you can figure this out. You, you work your way out of this. You can make this happen. God does not come to you and say, uh, I know you're a sinner, but listen to me. Listen to me. You are enough. You're enough. You just figure it out. You're enough. You can do this. No, no, he comes to you and he loves you enough to say, you are not enough. Don't you dare believe that lie. My son is enough. My spirit is enough. I am your father and that's enough. And if you get that settled, then you have what's called your identity in Christ. And when your identity is in Christ, then you don't have to look in the mirror every day and say, I'm enough, I'm enough, I'm enough, I'm enough. If you say that to yourself every day, then the first time someone judges you or critiques you, you will crumble because you believe you're enough and you can't be spoken to. But if you know you're a sinner and you know you've been redeemed, then you can look in the mirror and say, listen, I'm, I'm not enough, I know. But Christ is enough. And he's good to me. And so I'm not going to believe the lie that culture tells me that I'm so great. No, I'm great because Christ is great and I'm created in the image of God. And he's got a plan for my life and he's called me to some stuff. And I'm not trying to be self-defeating in my personality, but I am trying to say the only way you can take critique and I can take critique is if we stand firmly on the foundation that our identity is in Christ. If you think your identity is in yourself, you will crumble. 
The first time someone tells you something, you're like, don't say that to me. I, I, I've got to be perfect. No, you're not. So listen, settle that. That God spoke the truth to you and he loves you. And this is what's so profound. The words, I love you, are only meaningful if the person speaking them knows the truth about you. And God knows the truth about you. More than anyone else, God, he knows the worst about you. He knows the truth about you. And, he, and yet he says, I love you. I'm for you. I've done everything imaginable so that you don't have to stay dead in your sin. I've provided everything necessary so that you can walk in freedom. But you've got to hear the truth. And the truth is you can't do it alone. You need my son. And when we get that settled, then we can be the kind of people who tell each other the truth in love. And that creates flourishing and that creates joy. And here's what's crazy. That creates a culture of people who want feedback. It creates a culture of people who say, hey, listen, uh, my identity is in Christ, but I need help to being developed into Christ likeness. So you actually start seeking out other people who will tell you the truth. And your defensiveness falls and your desire to fight back goes away and you simply go, hey, my, my identity is in Christ. Could you tell me some blind spots you see in my life? Can you help me develop into Christ-likeness? And when someone comes to you with the truth, you, you, you don't have to fight back. You, you just receive it and you go, is, is that true? And you measure it and you figure it out. So listen, here, here's my challenge for us this week. This week, would you seek someone out and ask this question? It could be in your huddle, it could be in your village, it could be someone in the church and just seek someone out and say, hey, would you tell me the blind spots you see in my life? Would you tell me the blind spots you see in my life? According to Jesus, there are things that are obstructing my vision. And according to Jesus, the devil is lying to me all day, every day. So odds are I'm believing some of those lies. So would you be willing to tell me some blind spots you see in my life? Not do I have any blind spots? Yes, you do. <laughs> But would you tell me the blind spots? And here, here's, here's my suggestion. If, if someone asks you to tell them the blind spots, please, please, please don't just tell them the blind spots. Tell them a desired future you see in them. Yeah, here's some blind spots you have in your life. And, and here's, here's why you should deal with those things. Because those things are hindering you from being who God's called you to be. And those things are hindering you from the influence you could have. Those things are hindering you from giving God the glory he deserves. Those things are hindering you from the freedom you most want. And tell them what you see in them. Help them get out of it. And then as a church, may we be the kind of church that has a culture and has the lifelong habit of saying, we have our identity in Christ and we welcome feedback. It's not going to rock us to our core because we know we're in this together. God's commanded us to speak the truth and love to one another. So we say, bring it on. And we are humble enough to receive critique because we know it's going to push us to be more like Christ. And we're not there yet. So I want to pray that we'd be those kind of people and we'd have that kind of identity so that we could receive that kind of critique. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a God who tells us the truth. And God, I know that, that sometimes being told the truth is hard. And God, when I, when I tell our church these kind of truths, God, it's not fun. It's not joyful. It's, it's because you've asked us to be truthful to one another. And so Lord, tonight is, even as we've heard this sermon, God, I, 
I bet right now the enemy is coming in and lying to us, like right now. And so God, could you help us in these places where the enemy is lying to us? Could you help us to be mindful of those lies, to be willing to, to say, that's not true, and to go to a brother or sister tonight at church and to say, hey, would you help me in this lie I'm believing? So God, give us the grace to speak the truth to one another in love. God, help us. Again, culture has told us, who are you to judge me? I'm enough. Leave me alone. I can do this. I can rely on myself. And God, none of those things are going to get us where we're going. And none of those things are the commands you've given us in Scripture. So God, I pray that you would put a courage in us, a courage in us that would seek out critique, would seek out feedback. And God, make us humble enough to receive it. God, the truth is you have asked us to judge one another. But I pray we judge one another in love and we judge one another in truth and we judge one another so that we can be more like Christ. And Lord, honestly, anytime we share a message like this, we know, God, that there are people in this room who are believing a lie that they have to save themselves. We know it. And so God, maybe tonight you, you come to them and, and you, you just speak so clearly to them, even now in their heart that says, Jesus is your savior. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only hope. Stop relying on yourself. Stop trusting yourself. Trust in Christ. And God, tonight, maybe we would see someone be set free from the lies of the enemy when it comes to salvation. God, help us as we continue in worship now. God, help us be the kind of people you've called us to be. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.